Welcome to Hip Hop Movie Club, where three old heads put their old heads together to vibe on some of the most memorable or forgettable hip hop themed movies of all time. And here's HHMC with your HHMCs, Boogie, JB, and Dino Wright. Season 4, Episode 1, Boys in the Hood. Written and directed by John Singleton and produced by Steve Nicolaitis. Released in 1991 and featuring Ice Cube, Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, and Lawrence Fishburne. We'll answer the question, which of the boys can survive and which can thrive in the mean streets of South Central L.A.? Boys in the Hood is a coming-of-age drama which sees a young boy, Trey, sent to live with his father, Furious Styles, in the rough-and-tumble South Central L.A. neighborhood of Crenshaw. While Furious instills proper values and respect in Trey, his friends Doughboy and Ricky don't have the same kind of support system and are drawn into the drug and gang culture with tragic results. Boogie, what are your initial thoughts of Boys in the Hood? Boys in the Hood is the quintessential South Central film. It's the first film from John Singleton, first major film from him, and the first of his South Central quote-unquote hood trilogy films. I think that it's super poignant, and it touches on um, a lot of lot of topics. You got street violence, you know, drug dealing, gang culture. Um, there's police brutality. It touches on gentrification of the of the hood as well as um, misogyny and single parent households. You know, with an absentee father and the, the reprovocations that can occur uh, when that takes place. Even though I know the, the ending of the movie, it's it's always one of those movies that whenever I see it on, I have to stop and pause what I'm doing, and I pay attention to it because it tells a story of of what can happen if you're not careful, and also you know, even though you have a hopeful situation in, in terms of the of the character Ricky uh, and, and his ability to play football uh, and potentially get out, chance occurrences of being in the wrong place at the wrong time can sometimes have some really ugly res- results and consequences. Um, but yeah, I definitely enjoyed this, this movie. This is one of those films that I highly recommend for people to watch if they want to get an insight on on the, the street culture of, of Los Angeles and South Central. And, and it's it's sad because a lot of these occurrences in the movie still occur. I mean, we do get just fairly recently, hip-hop artist PNB Rock, you know, murdered in, in Los Angeles. And it's very sad to see situations like, like that occur. And also, we have the instance of police brutality that still occur. So I, I think John Singleton was, was ahead of his time um, as far as bringing these stories to the forefront so that not only can the world see what's going on, but also the people that live in Hollywood that are oblivious to the situations that are going on can kind of look over their shoulder and say, oh, wow, this is what's going on in our own backyard and, and pay attention to it. Yeah, Donna Wright, what are your thoughts initially? I had never seen this before, one of those movies, and it was equal or maybe even better than Do the Right Thing. The characters were very human. It was multidimensional. And the acting actually met the level of the writing. The writing, these characters were written so well. And they 
they really brought great acting to it. And a lot of them were their first movie roles. It's like amazing that he got these performances out of these new actors. And the whole thing was just, they, they turned it to stars, right? <laughs> so many people, like we've seen so many other movies now in, in this podcast too. <laughs> they, they got their start here. It's like, wow. You know, a lot of them like had been working, but you know, they really became more prominent thanks to this movie. And I, this might be my favorite one that we've seen so far. Yeah, this was incredible. I had seen it once or twice, but years ago, sh shortly after it came out. And to rewatch it, I was just enthralled by it. It holds up. I mean, this could be a top 20 film of all time, perhaps. I'm just astounded by how young John Singleton was when he made this film. He was 24 years old. <laughs> Think about what we were doing at age 24. <laughs> I Nothing mean, this important. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Youngest director ever to be nominated by an Oscar. So kudos to the late, great John Singleton. Yeah. Actually, you, you did a comparison with Do the Right Thing, and I was reading up two years after Spike Lee was passed over for nomination for Do the Right Thing. He didn't get it. Singleton became the first African-American to earn a Best Director nomination for uh, Boys in the Hood. The character development, the cinematography was all on point, and it's a teaching moment, and it's poignant, like you said, Boogie. So this one started out with the statistic of one out of every 22 Black Americans will be murdered, which is just jaw-dropping, and most will be at the hands of another Black person. So then you're talking about you know, Black on Black crime. Like you said, Dinah Wright, Ice Cube hadn't done any acting, right? For John Singleton to reach out to him. So John Singleton, I believe, went to USC for film school, which is a top program. And for him to reach out to Ice Cube, who was really knee deep into the success of NWA and, and to bring him into this role was just remarkable. And he, he nailed it. When I uh, was thinking about the characters and, and how this movie was, it was Ice Cube that you really saw how he became a Hollywood star because he has the acting chops to, to do a role like this, that wasn't just one dimensional, you know, he would, he could have been just portrayed as a thug, but there was dimension to his, his character. And, you know, he actually did. Yeah. I mean, he and his brother would fight, but he actually did love his brother and wanted to protect him. And he had levels to him. So, and amazing to think like that was his first movie. <laughs> Wow, what a talent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely knocked it out the park. I mean, toe-to-toe -to -toe with any seasoned vet in a film, his portrayal of Doughboy in this movie is top-notch. And like you said, it was definitely layers. Like, he was definitely not just a street thug. Like, he was, he, he was compassionate. He was loyal, compassionate. He was strong, strong-willed as well. And it was very realistic and very, he, he wasn't a good person, but you kind of want to root for him anyway, because you, you could still see those good qualities in him. Like he's that guy, like you like, all right, you know what? He's, a, he's, he's not good, but there's something about him that, you know, he can do better if he just applied himself and you want to root for him to, to do better. As you see, unfortunately at the end of the movie, he definitely, you know, he didn't make it, you know, he was, he was also, you know, he was murdered as well. Came another statistic, unfortunately. 
And that's that's the sad thing. And it's like you see these guys and you, you know that there's something more to them, but they're so wrapped up that, you know, it takes them under. The character of Doughboy is very interesting. He was the street smart one between him and his brother, Kenny. He was protective of them. In fact, when they were walking down by the tracks and they came upon the other group of, I guess, almost like a gang, and they stole his football. They stole Kenny's football. Doughboy was the one that stood up for him. Ricky, I'm sorry. (laughs) Ricky. Ricky's football. Yep. So he fought to get the, the football back. He wasn't afraid to back down from anybody. And I think what what was really driving some of Doughboy was motive was Ricky being the one that had the aspirations to be a football player was definitely favored by their mother. And he internalized that. You could see that when they would fight, she would slap him, slap Doughboy, like get your hands off him and everything. And in fact, if you fast forward, you know, at the end when, when Ricky was shot and killed, her initial thought was that Doughboy had done it and she's blaming him and, and yeah. punching him. And he internalized all that. And I think that kind of made him the way he was. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's like you could definitely see him crying out for attention that wasn't being bestowed to him. Yeah, there was definitely favoritism in that in those situations between Doughboy and Ricky. And yeah. Yeah. I think if he was getting that attention from the mother as well, might have had a different outcome. Yeah. Like I said, the synopsis, it's like they only they had a single parent issues. I mean, Trey did also. So Trey was, you know, well, not single parent, but separated, right? And then Furious played by Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, what an amazing character Lawrence Fishburne was. I thought he should have been nominated for um, supporting actor, but he was passed over as well. What what a great yeah. father figure, you know, the rough and tumble neighborhood. But the first night that Trey goes to, to live with him, there's a break in in the house. The way that Singleton had that buildup with the dripping faucet and the intensity of it and the shooting. And then that leads to the tension with the, the cop that, that came, there was a black cop. He took forever to arrive. And then he states, he states this one less N word on the street. If you would have gotten him. And it's like, well, what's going on here? Like it was, it it kind of brought a lot of drama for sure. I read that Singleton shot this in order. And I also had that reaction about the dripping faucet. The tension building was really great. (laughs) <laughs> to, to read that oh yeah this was yeah. like when he was still figuring out things and by the end like wow this was your first movie <laughs> yeah I was listening t- uh, to some other podcasts about it and doing some research it's like he was fresh out of film school so like I guess he was using these techniques and he used them to to a T and it was masterful masterful is the word yeah yeah it's so, so dramatic yeah. and back to uh, Furious Lawrence Fishburne he taught Trey the life lessons and he kept them straight and narrow as much as he could. You see, he was the one that was working at the mall and trying to do, you know, trying to live a a noble life. The famous scene where they're fishing and he's teaching him, you know, how to be a man and the rights and wrongs and everything like that. It was impressive. Yeah. Ice cube scenes, Doughboy scenes and and Furious style scenes. Those were really gripping like i was glued any anytime they were on the screen I'm like ooh, this is something to pay attention to yeah yeah he just stole the scenes and there was a lot of gems that he was he would drop and things that you know people are starting to talk about now or 
he was talking about it back then in the, in that movie. Just a just a good overall solid character, well respected in the neighborhood, and you know it was good to see a positive role model despite everything going on. Usually, you know, the, sometimes the father is portrayed in a negative light or not portrayed at all, non-existent in the case of, you know, Doughboy and Ricky. So it was good that there was a counterbalance to show, hey, you know, despite the parents being separated, he's still a positive, you know, influence in, in Trey's life and, and, and there to help him become a man. I think even the point to the mother portrayed by Angela Bassett that, you know, she wanted him you know, wanted Trey to, to, to go live with him because she's like, you know, I brought him this far, but, you know, he needs his father to kind of buckle him down a little bit and, and show him how to become a man. I, I can I can help, but you're you're a man. He needs a man in his life. And I understand that we're not together, but I, I want you to take care of him from this point just to make sure that he gets that other side of the coin upbringing as well. Yeah, you mentioned the term gentrification earlier, and that Wow. I mean, that's become so much more popular. This is back. This film was from like 91. There's the scene where Furious is speaking in front of that empty lot with the, in front of the billboard. And this is the first time I, I pretty much heard that word. And he explains it in such a clear way to uh, Trey and Ricky and a lot of the folks in the neighborhood, one of them, including Grady from Sanford and Son, <laughs> was, <Yes>. one the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. was one of the neighborhood guys. And he explains it. It's like, it's called gentrification. And I have a quote here. It's like, it's what happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down. He's like, you listening? You bring the property value down. They can buy the land at a lower price. They move all the people out, raise the property value and sell it at a profit. So now what we need to do is keep everything in our neighborhood, everything black, black owned with black money, just like the Jews, the Italians, the Mexicans and the Koreans. do. And then he was talking about, uh, I think it was maybe it was actually the old man. I think Grady talking about he's like, ain't nobody from outside bringing down the property value. It's these folks shooting each other and selling the crack rock. So he's saying, oh, wait a second. Now we're all doing it to ourselves. And then Furious was like, well, how do you think the crack rock gets into this country? We don't own any planes. We don't own no ships. We're not the people flying and floating it all in here. Why is there a gun shop on almost every corner of this community? So it really gets everybody thinking. It's very pro provocative, but it's poignant where it's like, wow, they really want to. It's, it's kind of like the, the odds are so stacked against us. There's all the liquor stores on the corner. There's the gun shops. They want us to kill each other is pretty much what he's saying. We have to overcome that. You know, we're, we're behind the eight ball. So that was really a great speech yeah. he had there. Absolutely. That was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Yeah. Anytime you can put Whitman Mayo in a scene. <laughs> Grady. But it's, so but it's so funny. We've had so many, you know, Luana Page cameos. It's about time we got somebody else from San Francisco. It's a little Grady action. <laughs> hey, we haven't seen Aunt Esther in a while. We might as well see Grady. <laughs> <laughs> One more thing about, so Furious Styles played by Lawrence Fishburne, who was like a mortgage broker. And you see the scene when he he's uh, talking to Trey when they're fishing and he was talking about his time in the military, in the army. And some people say that this is the same character possibly from Apocalypse Now, Lawrence Fishburne's character. So if you go back and look at that, this, this could be the evolution of his character, which was interesting. I always like these mm. little 
inter inter movie kind of connections that yeah. maybe don't yeah, exist, but yeah, are fun to think about. Are always kind of cool. Yeah, so it's possible if you put two and two together. And um, let me just go back to the cinematography. I believe there was like almost John Singleton was paying homage to Stand by Me with the train track scene, finding the body. There was like kind of a double double thing there. Although yeah. this was a much shorter walk yeah. than the boys in Stand By Me and Finding the Body. But also, like you said, when Doughboy vanishes, that's like, I think, River Phoenix. It, the way that they make him vanish at the end. Yeah, I um, read that too. Like It was a yeah. homage to Earl. He used that same yeah. thing. So he kind of it was a hat tip to, uh, to Stand By Me. I don't think there was a false note in this movie at all. And I think maybe it's recency bias, but... I feel like Do the Right Thing had a few scenes that didn't have to be in the movie. And so it wasn't like completely ironclad. And I think this movie, like there was no fat in this movie. It was so powerful and, and consistent through the entire movie. Yeah. And I heard a comparison of, so John Singleton and Spike Lee, they rose to prominence around the same time. So they're always kind of compared to each other. And the comparison I heard was that Spike Lee, as we mentioned when we talked about the right thing, left some things open-ended and wanted to spark debate. And he was great at that. Whereas John Singleton was more or less, I want to take you into this world and tell you the story of how it is. This is almost like if NWA was on film. And that's why Ice Cube was such a natural to play this role. It's like, this is how it is in South Central. This is the true story. Here's how the characters evolve. And this is the tragic events right there. Whereas Spike Lee was more kind of open-ended. It's definitely complimentary. Right. Yeah. yeah. They fit together. For sure. Yeah. I just think it's fun to think of Cowboy Curtis. <laughs> this is, and then he goes from Cowboy <laughs> Curtis to Furious Styles. But wow. <laughs> and I read that uh, John Singleton worked at Pee Wee's Playhouse as a production assistant and security guard. And that's how he met Lawrence Fishburne. So you never know. These connections are wild. Wow. Yeah. I was even so impressed by the child actors in the beginning when it was the small tray and teaching the class about yeah. Africa. And then he starts to fight. And I'm like, wow, these, these kids are just so great. Yeah. The, the, the kid that played Doughboy at age 10 and yeah, little tray. <laughs> yeah. It was very good. I was reading and I saw that um, backtrack to, to Ice Cube real quick in his cast of a joke for Doughboy that he was John Singleton's first choice to play Doughboy. Like he just kept approaching Ice Cube after concerts or, or after performances. And, you know, Ice Cube, of course, was reluctant. It's like, you know, I'm not an actor, but John Singleton finally encouraged him to audition and take a screen test. He performed just as well as. John Singleton knew that he would and, you know, was cast as Doughboy. They developed a friendship and John Singleton actually was, was the one who started encouraging Ice Cube to write screenplays based off of his writing of his lyrics, which resulted in a, a, a which resulted in a Friday. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> wow. This was the source material for all these great things that happened afterwards, like Friday and the rest of his trilogy and all that. Wow. Yeah. 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 When the gang kind of bumps Ricky uh, and he confronts Ferris from the gang 
And then Doughboy is the one that stands up and says, is there a problem here? The machine guns kind of blast out. Trey and Ricky kind of get pulled over too. And then, and then there's that black cop threatening them with the gun to the throat. And you see their dramatic breakdown of Trey. Like Trey's, Trey's so conflicted. He's trying to live this straight in their life, but is all this pressure on him. And he starts crying in front of his girlfriend, Brandy. And that was a, a really powerful scene too. And then you see Furious and um, ex-wife Reba talking about Trey's future and him moving in with Brandy and things like that. Ricky sees the Army commercial on TV, is intrigued by it. And then, you know, there's the fight between Ricky and Doughboy. There's so much that, that kind of happens. And Trey convinces Ricky, like, don't go into the military because his father was like, you know, it's not for us and everything like that. So, so much to this character development and what these kids are going through. It's, it's, it's wild. I agree. The, the, yeah, basically yeah. They had to grow up really young. <laughs> yeah. Dealing with like full on adult situations as, as kids, not out of high school yet. So. Yeah. That scene when Trey breaks down in front of Brandy at her house, like, yeah, he was holding it together so well and then came out and yeah, you, you kind of feel that because you get threatened like that and, you feel that power dynamic with the with the cop, the the self-loathing cop. Like, yeah, you totally relate to how he reacted to that and how he had to hold himself together until he found a place where he could let it out. Well done. Yeah. And there was a, there was a whole lot of tension between folks in the neighborhood and the police at that time as well. And a lot of it, you know, no, making no excuse for it, but a lot of it was based off the violence of the area. Police officers weren't sure who pulled a trigger at them and who wouldn't. So they walked into every situation and, and they, they were just over overzealous with their handling of situations that could have been delayed pretty simply. You know, simple questions here and there and, you know, everyone could have been on their way. But they were just really, really nasty and rude and they developed such a bad reputation. It was a rite of passage. It's like, all right, okay, at what point are you going to come in contact with the cops and, you know, get roughed up. You know, it's going to happen, but at what point is it going to happen to you? You know it's going to happen. That was Trey's, I guess, real... That might have been his first time having that that situation like that occur. And once it finally happens to you, you don't know what to do. Because at any point, you know, he could have been dead. All it takes is a misjudgment from that police officer. I thought he was going to do... I thought he was going to do this or, you know, whatever... And and he could have overreacted and killed him. So, yeah, that's and, and it's like you said, um, there's a power dynamic where you know you're powerless in that situation. When he was finally out of that situation, you know, we had a, a Mount St. Helens type moment where he just erupted with emotion. Uh, I can definitely relate to that situation. I mean, I've never been to the extent of what he dealt with, but yeah, when you're you don't know what's going to happen. And when it, you know you're finally out of that situation, you break down. I've broken down before, not to that extent, but I've had moments where I've encountered police officers, and after they were gone, my face—I just really sat in the car and cried, <laughs> or I got home and parked my car and just sat there and cried. Like, thank God, <laughs> it didn't go in a different direction than when it did. You know, it was just a interaction, and I got home. <laughs> So every time I see that scene, it, it touches me. Yeah, 
po police brutality. The, you think of the timing of this movie. If you look back to the one of the most visible incidents back then, Rodney King happened in March of 1991. This movie was released in July of 1991. So this was definitely at the peak of when this came to light. Obviously, it still happens. We've seen so many instances, but this is really on every, everybody's mind. And like you said, I can see how it could be so emotional. The police are supposed to be the ones that serving and protecting and someone you can confide in and someone that would help you. And then when you are threatened and pulled over racially profiled with a gun to your head where you, you think you might die and someone of your own race, I mean, I can I can see why it all bubbled to the surface for Trey. So if you want to get to the final scene, climatic scene at the end, where they hear the gang pull up and Ricky and Trey are together and they hear the car and then Ricky says, you know, split up. And <laughs> we always ask us, you know, like, like you said, this, this kind of movie, there was, it was pretty airtight. But the one thing I do question is like, Ricky has to stop to pee. He also has to do his lottery scratch off tickets. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh man. But yeah, that was yeah. like poor timing on his part. So bad. Like, yeah. Does someone really react like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, no, Ricky had the running back skills. Like, and I'm wondering why he actually thought to split up. I was wondering, maybe he thought that Trey would slow him down. I'm not sure. So there's a lot, lot to question about that final scene, but, but obviously they had to get Ricky was isolated and Trey in another direction, unfortunately. And then, yeah. you know, Ricky's gunned down. The dramatics, like slow mo scene where Trey's shouting out Ricky's name. Yeah. And and to further add drama, it's not like everything ends there. They actually bring the body home, all bloodied and shot, put him on the couch, and then you see Ricky and Doughboy's mother losing her mind, obviously. But then again, like I said, blaming Doughboy, hitting him, and blaming and and. It, it all culminates in that Trey then goes home and, you know, gets his gun and in furious demands the gun and, and it, the huge emotional hug. And then there's the uh, retribution where, where Doughboy, uh, Dookie and Monster go find the gang that killed Ricky. Trey actually asked to be dropped off before they got to them. And they do end up, you know, gunning down the, uh, the, the gang members that had killed Ricky. Yeah. Yeah, it got real. It got real. And Trey came to the conclusion that he's definitely not cut out for that, which was actually good that he realized instead of potentially ruining his life in that situation, had it gone a different kind of way. And which was actually good is that when he asked to let out of the car, there was no pressure for, for them to make a mistake because they knew that he shouldn't have been there. So they just let him go. Trey, again, his future would have been jeopardized as well. And I do like the kind of epilogue where they do show you that Trey then does go on to Morehouse College and his girlfriend Brandy goes to Spelman. So they, they're still, still both local and they can continue with their relationship. Unfortunately, like they said, Doughboy was killed a couple weeks later by the other members of the gang, I'm sure. One other thing I didn't mention was interesting. So 
Ricky being recruited by USC yeah. and the recruiter comes to the home and outside the front porch, there's a lot of chaos, a lot of cursing and stuff like that. And the recruiter was kind of like unfazed by it. And what did it kind of turn him off though, was Ricky, Ricky's child runs out. So Ricky has a child and they fast forward, he closes his laptop or whatever. But what makes it even more tragic is that obviously, you know, he had the, the son and he was come down and it does reveal at the end that he did pass the, I think it was the SATs. He had just, just met the requirement by like 10 points. So he would have received a, a scholarship and gotten out. Yeah. So many, so many occurrences of things like that happening, where there's the potential for someone to get out and you don't because of situations like this. I mean, we saw something similar almost occur in Above the Rim. Yeah. We saw a situation like that you know, almost occur when he was going to get a scholarship. He, he was could have been gunned down on a basketball court. <laughs> yeah. Georgetown in that case, too. Yeah. It's very believable, realistic. Like you said, these instances happen. Some gunned down all the time. A lot of these athletes that come from the inner city and they – they live in surrounded by the gang violence. This is lifestyle, and that's their only ticket out. That is really the only ticket is to get that scholarship. And uh, sometimes tragic results occur. So, yeah, it's a cautionary tale, and just just well done by by Singleton here. Yeah, absolutely. Thumbs up. <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy the music. I mean, the soundtrack's great. <laughs> I didn't own it, but it's a great soundtrack. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I definitely love this soundtrack. It's a good one. Really good. It featured Ice Cube, obviously. Too Short. Compton's Most Wanted. Tony, Tony, Tony. Yo-Yo was in it and in the movie. Yes. Yeah. Two Live Crew, even. Main Source. Chub Rock. One of my favorites. Quincy Jones, September. Lonely Love is in this too. Yeah. Great soundtrack. So great soundtrack. Could, could this movie be made today? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the subject matter is still relevant, much like it was do the right thing. Yeah. And I've said this before on this podcast, but it'd be interesting to see how current technology would impact the story what the cell phones do for us in this in this uh, i don't think it really mattered that much uh, there was our old cordless phones <laughs> and and brandy has an apple 2c computer like i had an apple 2c computer <laughs> i was like hey i got that computer <laughs> i have that meme of uh leonardo dicaprio like pointing at the tv <laughs> yeah i don't know it could be made today but boy could anyone top the original. I don't know. That would be really hard. Yeah, it would be really hard to top the original. I don't want to see this rebooted at all. <laughs> this is so perfect. Yeah, um, you can make another movie based on it, but call it something else. <laughs> I got to admit, I did listen to the Rewatchables podcast on this, which is done by The Ringer. They talked for quite a while on a lot of movies, and they were saying, well... If someone had this concept today, it would be like a Netflix series, like a 10 part, because there could be a lot of the backstory and I could see something like that, maybe. 
I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's really rich. Like these characters all had rich backstories to them and like could have had a whole series on furious styles, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, right. you can do a prequel, like how did Furious Styles grow up? What was his upbringing like? And then show him, you know, what were the challenges he faced in the military and what caused him to join and then to leave. There's a lot to it. It could be like Gotham. If you ever watched the series Gotham when they show the backstory of Commissioner Gordon? Really well done. I feel like it could be like that. Yeah. You almost regret not seeing more of uh, Ricky's football highlights because he that one piece of film he was explosive. He like predated uh, Reggie Bush. <laughs> <laughs> he was the original Reggie Bush. <laughs> he was. Yeah. Later day OJ Simpson. <laughs> right, right. The U.S. Marcus Allen. Yeah, I think the Marcus they, Allen. They turned out a lot of stud running backs. Ricky could have, you know. Could have been one of them. Yeah, so why don't we do our final rating? This is kind of a no-brainer, but let's go around the room here. Bring that funky flick back. Bring that funky flick back. Or leave it in the vault. Bring that funky flick back. It's a classic. I know, right? Bring this funky flick back. It's outstanding. Yes, bring this funky flick back. Amazing work. Hip Hop Movie Club is produced by your HHMCs, JB, Boogie, and Dino Wright. Theme music by Boogie. Special thanks as always to Susan, Tawanda, and Alice. Check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Hip Hop Movie Club. On the next episode of the Hip Hop Movie Club podcast, your HHMCs will review Juice, starring Tupac Shakur. It drops in two weeks. Subscribe today in your favorite podcast app and you won't miss it. Shout out to your listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, don't hate, anticipate. Shout out to Brain Freeze Trivia in the Lehigh Valley. Check out the Instagram, brain underscore freeze underscore trivia double underscore time that's brain freeze trivia time on instagram